Hello, welcome to Strike Up the Conversation on Post Show Recaps, a podcast bringing you coverage of the labor disputes happening now in television and film. I'm Dr. Amanda, and I'm your host for these conversations. Today, I am joined by a fabulous guest, Gabby Pascuzzi, who you may know from the television show Survivor, to talk more, extend our conversation about the world of unscripted television. But before we get to Gabby, uh, please do subscribe to the podcast. You can find us by using our RSS feed, postshowrecaps.com slash strike when you search by URL on your podcast player of choice. Um, You can also give us ratings and reviews. That really, really helps people find us. And if you have any topics that you're interested in hearing more about, let me know on postshowrecaps.com slash strike FAQ. Gabby, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for inviting me on. Oh, I'm so happy to have you joining us today. Um, You know, when I first conceived of this uh, topic of covering the strikes ongoing and bringing in guest perspectives, touching on reality TV has always been one of my interests in this, and I'm glad that we get to do that. We had Molly join us last week um, and talk about the editing side and the production side, which was really, really interesting. Um, But now you have this entirely different point of view as somebody who's been a reality TV star. For any of our listeners who might not know about that, um, why don't you just introduce yourself at Gabby? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name is Gabby Pascuzzi. I was a contestant in 2018, five years ago now, on the reality TV show Survivors, 37th season, David versus Goliath. And um, coincidentally, I'm so excited to have this conversation about labor because I'm currently a graduate student and graduate worker uh, in Buffalo. And I'm also chief steward of our graduate student employees union, which is basically, um, I'm on the, I'm an elected representative with our union. And, uh, this is my second year being on the leadership team in the union. So labor has been something very central to my life in recent years as a graduate worker. So I think it's really, I've been so excited, uh, to talk to you about, this other thing that was really important in my life as well, which was going on reality TV, which was this huge thing and talking about it from this labor angle, which obviously is just such an important discussion to have. And one that I'm really glad that people are becoming more and more aware of right now as we see these large scale strikes go on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, that's amazing. And I do want to very much get back to what you're doing now at some point in our conversation with regards to organized labor um because you know as somebody who was once a graduate student assistant mm-hmm. um i'm really <laughs> interested to hear about the work that you're doing in that space um but i wanted to give our listeners an update on the current state of the strike so um as listeners are 
aware the writers reached their deal with the studios earlier this month, but SAG has remained on strike. It's actually been a, a somewhat eventful few days. Um, today, Gabby, that we are recording on Sunday, October 29th, is the 108th day the the SAG AFTRA strike, which is the longest actors' strike uh, involving film and TV companies in Hollywood history, um, and since uh, talks restarted on October twenty fifth, um, there's been so last week they had uh, the the studios have just walked away from negotiations, but they've been reengaged. Um, meeting on Saturday and Sunday over this weekend. Um, and it sounds like they are trying to find some common ground and uh, making making some progress, at least to the extent that they're staying at the table. Uh, one of the headlines that I saw that really tickled me uh, earlier this week is that apparently Fran Drescher has been bringing an emotional support plushie <laughs> to the talks. And she said, let's see, um, she said she got to the negotiation table and told everyone my Furby is watching you. Um, <laughs> and I think that she also made this comment and I'm not finding this. Oh, this is great. Um, she said to uh, she said in response to some questions about, uh, you know, whether it's appropriate for her to bring a doll to the negotiations, she said, and I quote, I don't have to emulate a masculine energy to be a good leader. I can be smart, have a keen ability to see integral flaws in a business model and put a tiny heart shaped plushy toy between me and Bog Iger. I love that. <laughs> I know. I could not stand this woman anymore. She's amazing. Um, so that's what's going on right now in the in the current SAG after negotiations. Gabby, how closely have you been following what's been going on uh, in the entertainment industry? Semi closely. Um, I follow a lot of labor accounts on Twitter. So I kind of keep up to date through that. And yeah, as a as a TV consumer and fan, mm. uh, you know, it's something that obviously we've all become aware of in the past several months. And yeah, it's it's just it's a big, like I said, big, exciting thing that's happening, I think, for everybody involved in labor right now, because it's like these A-list celebrities and things that are actually talking about laborers, uh, labor unions and what they do for us as workers on a national scale. That's been really, really exciting. Yeah, it's been um, one of the things that's come up over and over again in uh, this series is just like how much this is getting attention, like giving positive attention to the labor movement and actually, you know, that we have these wonderful spokespeople now for organized labor. Um one of the reasons like, you know, to bring reality TV in is in the past, these entertainment strikes have been, you know, in large part kind of held responsible for boons in reality TV. Like when you can't make scripted television, when you can't pay actors, reality TV is like a relatively cheap way to keep things on the airways. So um, having like perspective of people who work in that space, um, is really interesting. Like Gabby, when you like, could you tell a little bit about like, you know, taking aside for a moment, this conversation about, you know, representation and collective bargaining, like when you decided to sign up for survivor and when you went through the casting process and all of these like 
phases. I just wonder if you could speak a little bit to what kind of commitment that is and what you go through as a contestant, like, you know, even leading up to it um, and then during it and, you know, like just thinking about how it impacts a person's life, because that's, I think, what been one of the really illuminating things about having these conversations is just sort of unpacking what is behind the TV products that we enjoy, what goes into making them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also just wanted to say I loved your episode with Molly and it was very illuminating for me having been uh, the person being filmed, I guess, seeing how much work goes into it behind the scenes, which I always knew, but it was just really mm -hmm. fascinating to hear that perspective. So I learned a lot from that. Uh, as someone who chose to be a contestant on one of these shows. It's a long process. There's a lot of podcasts out there in the reality TV mm -hmm. world about how we get cast, the things we go through to get cast. Um, but that's really just the beginning. We signed this very intense contract that I was just looking over again, just out of curiosity of like, what did I sign in that contract that was five years ago? And you are making a big commitment to being filmed 24-7, seven, seven days a week. Um, in the case of Survivor, they list all of the animals you might come into contact with, like scorpions and deadly snakes. Yeah. And they talk about, you know, all the kind of bodily risks and things like that. So even before you even stepped on the beach for this competition show, you're already signing away a lot of these, you know, I'm not going to sue them if something happens to me. So that is something I think a lot of people, including myself, is something we were willing to do because it's this like we think of it as this once in a lifetime mm -hmm. uh, opportunity where we are going to compete for $1 million for Survivor. So the actual experience, I think we know we're signing up for something very, very intense. But no amount of preparation or reading through the contract can really prepare you for how intense it is. So in the pregame, before the game begins, you are sleeping with very, we were sleeping with very minimal um, housing, sort of like intense. We were mm -hmm. going through really intense press days that were like all day long. And we were sitting in these hot tents uh, waiting for our turn all day long. We weren't allowed to talk to the other contestants. And that's just in the days before filming for content that probably very few people are looking at, you know, these articles and these videos that are put online to promote the show. We are having pictures taken. We're filming videos that will then be used basically in perpetuity. Perpetuity. Is that how you pronounce that? <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds right. <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> um, and... So so we're taking basically all these like promotional uh, images and things for them that they're that they then have ownership over. And the actual show itself for a reality television competition show like Survivor, it's obviously very, very intense. We're competing for a million dollar prize. So we are filmed basically 24 seven. Uh, and when I say basically, I mean, they can film you 24 seven, they mm -hmm. might not be filming, you know, when you're sleeping, or they might just set up a, a tripod, and there's nobody manning the computer or the, the camera, I mean. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we're being filmed. Um, there's a clause in the contract that also says, like, you know, I know I'm going to be filmed, even if I like am naked, like even if yeah. I'm like doing something private. Um, and the days are 
long because there are competitions, but they're also somewhat for us, they were, it's a continuous game. So the game never stops. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's um, a little different than I'm a big fan of other reality TV shows too. I've watched almost every season of the bachelor and season Mm -hmm. things like that, where it's a little bit different because it's like, it's constant for us because the whole experience is the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, We go to these tribal councils that are very long. You, you sit for a long time waiting, not able to talk. There's a lot of waiting and tense on survivor. And I think people don't know that. (laughs) Um, There is like before every challenge, you are sitting in a hot tent, unable to speak to each other, just like waiting for them to basically call you on to go. You have to ask permission to go to the bathroom. Uh, You get very bare necessities in terms of hygiene or anything like that for a show like Survivor. We got like hand sanitizer and... um, medical equipment that we that was essential and that's also a whole nother conversation because what mm-hmm. they consider essential varies mm-hmm. uh and and can leave some people out of things that they mm-hmm. might need to function in their daily lives so you're sacrificing a lot especially i i you know i'm repeating like on a show like survivor where the premise is that you're struggling so the idea is you're signing up to struggle but there's it's constant and we're out there for six weeks or so five or six weeks. And so you're giving up a lot of your time of your real life. Some people mm-hmm. quit their jobs. Some people take an unpaid leave from their quote unquote regular jobs. And you are, you're, you're handled by a handler the whole time. You have to abide by certain rules. You, you, you are basically told what you can and can't do. So that's the very broad strokes yeah. <laughs> idea of what goes into this as a contestant. So, um, you know, like I think that, you know, viewers are aware that you're, you know, when we, we see you the days that you're on the island in the show and then, you know, if you get to this stage, you know, depending on how far you get, like, you know, you're still, maybe you're on the jury or But like the whole period of time from when you have to like stop, leave your job, like so we're focused on labor and I'm thinking about like employability and, you know, Mm -hmm. what your compensation is throughout this, like from the time that you have to go to do all of the preseason stuff to be, um, you know, to be at the, you know, to be on location before the filming starts to the time that you get to go home and sort of reintegrate into your life? Like, what is that duration of time like? Yeah, I would say um, the about six weeks um, from for from actually, you know, being flown out and entering that time period of like, well, now you can't talk to anyone unless we say you can Mm -hmm. to arriving home. At least for my series, it was back when it was 39 days. Now it's 26 days. It might be a little bit shorter for them. I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. But yeah, from the moment that you arrive in the at the hotel uh, in L.A., you meet up with a handler and they're like, okay, don't talk to anyone now. Go to mm-hmm. your hotel room. Don't leave it. Don't talk to anyone. Uh, and and that goes until, yeah, until you return home probably about six weeks later. Yeah. yeah. And we're all aware of like the prize money. Like the winner gets 
a million dollars. Um, and that, you know, there's prizes that are relative to placement for, you know, is, does mm -hmm. that, so, I mean, I guess that the question is sort of like, you know, you get paid the prize money that you win according to your placement, but the rest of it is like, you're just kind of, you're giving into this experience and you're not compensated as appearing on the show or am I incorrect to help, help me understand how that works. You're mostly correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You win your prize money. Um, the one thing that is separate from the prize money seems to be, at least for my time, you got uh, $10,000 for appearing on the reunion show. Okay. Um, but I think it's more like that's the official thing that they say is it's the appearance on the reunion show. But I think colloquially among contestants, that's been understood to almost be like your base pay. So like mm -hmm. no matter how badly you place, as long as you show up to the reunion, you would get that much. I have no idea how that how that might have changed now that they don't have a live reunion. Um, mm -hmm. So but yeah, they if anything, we're getting some amount of base pay. But that's mm. it. And then as to the time aspect of it, that's not coming until the end of the show, the end of mm. not just the, not the filming, but the show. So for us, right, that was the live reunion. That's the last episode of the show actually airing, which can be up to six months to a year after you've done filming. Mm -hmm. So you might have taken a six week leave of absence from wh whatever you were doing, not gotten paid for that time, and you won't get paid until months or a year later. I believe we could ask for an advance, but um, a lot of this also is just not super clearly communicated. Mm. Like the, I think the $10,000 number also I heard from previous contestants. Like, I don't ever know if it was actually said to us explicitly. I don't know if the um, prize amounts were said explicitly. So a lot of this is kind of this like tribal knowledge that's passed on they might have gotten better about it in past years i think somebody from a newer season told me they got at least told the prize structure so that might have mm. changed but um yeah i think it's 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 a little bit ambiguous as to when you'll get paid how much of an advance you can ask for mm. um you know just all of that that and there have at least been examples in the past, and I think from your season, where that like appearance fee at the reunion show was withheld because somebody, you know, had broken an agreement, so then didn't even get that appearance right. fee. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's not even a guaranteed amount for your time on mm -hmm. the show. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's so interesting. Um, you know, like, so I think it's it. And, and from what you said, Gabby, it sounds like you kind of go into this without a really clear sense of like, you're giving up all of this time, you're going to be contributing to this entertainment product. And at the time that you make that decision, you don't even necessarily know how much money you're going to be able to recoup for that lost time. Yeah, definitely. And I've heard us I've heard uh, of previous contestants saying that they ultimately made less like lost money going on the show, um, even considering their prize money just because of mm -hmm. the time lost. Mm -hmm. um, so after you finish, so like what after you finish the show, I'm thinking about like, you know, you sign agreements, you sign a contract with CBS, like once you're home or, you know, at, let's say talking about the period before your, your, your season airs, um, mm -hmm. 
what are, are there any restrictions on what you can do vis-a-vis CBS? Like, could you be on another show? Could you go like, what, what are the types of things that you agree to, um, in your agreement that, that might restrict what you can do after you get home? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I know there are limitations, on political office i remember being in the Mm -hmm. contract i do think there uh might have been something about other shows the only reason i think that and i can't say for sure but it was because someone on my season um john hennigan Mm -hmm. uh is a wrestler and was on other shows and i heard from him that he had to kind of have his agent separately negotiate you know his normal shows that he was able to participate in because that was his job. So I imagine because they had to have that conversation that there might've been limitations. Um, And then there's just little things that, that affect your life, which is mostly related to the NDA of it all, which is like, Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to tell anybody what happened. We're not supposed to talk to the other contestants. We're not supposed to follow them on social media. Um, So there are those sort of restrictions between coming back and the season airing, even when your promotion, uh, even when you're the commercial is aired Mm -hmm. for the next season on survivor and your face might be on there, but if they didn't give you permission to say, Hey, look, I'm on survivor next season. You can't even talk about that. So I've heard of other contestants saying like, people are calling me saying like, I saw your face on the preview. Are you on the next season of survivor? And they can't say anything. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's so interesting. Um, So, I mean, so like it, you know, a lot of what we talk about on this show, we're thinking about like, what are some of the reasons that collective bargaining is important and, you know, being able to advocate for people for, you know, things like pay hours, like workplace protections. Like, I mean, I'm thinking about in Survivor and we're going to be talking about the reality TV landscape broadly. And there's lots of different types of shows and there's lots of different types of like reality stars that, you know, that might end up on these shows. But, um, you know, some people come home from Survivor and have, you know, significant physical or health issues or, you know, psychological issues that they're continuing to work through that like have effects of being on these shows. And if something like that happens, do players have any recourse with CBS to have any sort of compensation or support to help them deal with any of those consequences? Yeah, that's a great question. There is a small but limited amount of support. One of them is that we on Survivor had a uh, staff psychologist that we could speak to up until the show finished airing. So there was an end date on that. Um, And I believe there were very limited medical things that, that they specifically said, if this happens within a certain time period, um, like, you know, it might've been a particular like malaria or mosquito type of thing where Mm. they're saying, well, we know that this is a, a thing. So, but other than that, if you have some kind of chronic injury, that contract that we sign waves a, a lot of your ability to, you know, ever sue the 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 group mm-hmm. uh, for these potentially life altering events. Mm-hmm. And um, 
the psychological impacts go way beyond the end of the show airing. I would say that that's that's still a part of the experience. Yeah. Um, for me, the last day that the show ends is to me the last day of the whole experience and the beginning of the after show healing. So mm. the the psychologist is not guaranteed past then. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would argue they're only offering the psychologist for the effect time you're affected by the show and not really that aftercare of mm -hmm. after the show is airing, which is a whole nother big life event beyond just the experience of actually going out there and being filmed. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, I mean, in your individual mental health needs, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, like, maybe there's may, maybe you require like uh, medications or maybe some other like some other specialized behavioral health care and it, so it sounds like the, what they offer is this this staff psychologist that's affiliated with the show exactly and it's sort of just a talk therapy session i mean it's it's wonderful that i had a wonderful psychologist yeah. but it it there's certainly not um a replacement for any kind of long-term care or specialized uh, like you said, tailored care mm -hmm. for any specific traumas or anything that might have come up. And it's a bit of an odd one, too, because with a normal therapist, psychologist uh, situation, you don't have a conflict of interest of um, a the everybody else they're talking to was is also the people that you're yes. talking about. And uh, you're right. You're not that you're not supposed to go to the mm -hmm. same psychologist as your friend or your partner or whoever, let alone your employers like mm -hmm. one that is uh you know hired by your employer so it's a bit um interesting i was really lucky to have a great one that i had a great relationship with but i can't speak to everyone's experience mm -hmm. and especially i think uh you know we you're a psychologist i'm a psychologist in mm -hmm. training and so i knew the importance of mental health and yeah. i had my own therapist after the show right um, but I paid for that. Um, and I, I've only heard of in extreme cases such as Zeke after having mm -hmm. been outed on national television, having had survivor offer sort of prolonged mental health, whether I'm not sure if they were paying for it or how that was organized. But, um, you know, so, so it's an interesting question of like, so how bad does the trauma have to be for that to be warranted? And it how are, who are who are we saying it's their fault in that case and not in other cases or that they're that they hold some responsibility in that case and not other cases so it's a little bit ambiguous in in that way mm -hmm. um yeah and you know thinking about I maybe mean, you brought up that example of Zeke, um, you know, who was outed on the show. And it just kind of highlights all of the different kinds of harms that contestants can be subject to. Like you can be harmed emotionally, you can be harmed, you know, even more broadly in terms of your, you know, social, you, you, you know, you, things like people could lose jobs for things that yes. happen on the show, things that are revealed. Um, people can experience like chronic health problems. I remember hearing an interview with Dawn, like uh, Meehan, who uh, this was years after she had last appeared on the show, but I think she had actually like suffered some spine damage from mm. participating in one of the physical challenges where she was carrying a whole, a lot of weight. 
on her back. So there's this range of harms uh, that can go from like psychological to physical to medical to social that you face being on on the show. And it sounds like there's, you know, not necessarily protections and certainly not guarantees in place that those will be able to be addressed without it more hardship to you as a player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. It would, it would require if somebody were to pursue something like that, certainly not offered readily. So you would have to be willing to fight for that. It's not guaranteed at all. And, um, we don't have much leverage after the show's been filmed um, mm -hmm. because we do sign away a lot in that contract. And then, you know, some other things that I think, you know, we'll, might go without saying, but we'll say them anyway. Like you definitely don't get residuals when your season goes on Netflix. Like nobody's Correct. sending you a check. Um, you mm -hmm. know, there's no, there, there's none of these like sort of traditional kind of profit sharing things that we've talked about with writers and actors in some of our other uh, discussions. And like, this kind of gets me to where I want to transition and zoom out a little bit at like reality TV more broadly um you know molly brought you know brought this up that there's these different categories of reality shows and i think that you know the 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 real people that are featured in those shows kind of can occupy different spaces and in reality competition it's you know i'd love to hear what you think gabby it's like do you feel like the survivor players should unionize and like what are your thoughts about thinking about the broad reality tv market and whether there's a room for organized labor or maybe just other protections for people who go on these shows yeah absolutely i mean my just broad belief is that the people where possible should organize because it offers so much more protection than you by yourself. And when I think about reality TV, that is the first thing that comes to mind is protections because it's yourself. You are not an actor. You are appearing as yourself and protecting yourself is so important. Of course, not in just in terms of all of the things we talked about, such as uh, emotional, physical damage, but you know, your reputation, your Mm -hmm. This is yourself that we're talking about. There's only one you and you are choosing to appear on reality television. So I think protections is ultimately the big word that we should be thinking of when we think about labor in reality TV. And certainly there's differences between shows like the Kardashians or the housewives where that is their job and they're being filmed, uh, you know, I don't know if 24 seven, but they're, the show is that documentary style. I think, um, yeah, Molly was saying and versus something like I went on, which is a game show, a competition show that has to abide by certain game show regulations mm -hmm. to be considered fair, um, because of prize money being offered. So I, I'd imagine that that's how things like we don't think of them as reality shows, but you know, Price is Right or Wheel yes. of Fortune, anything like that, right? Yeah. They have to abide by certain rules, regulations, and uh, something like Survivor is even a, a weird one because we are filmed twenty four seven, sort of maybe more like that documentary style. Our life stories get shared. Our life story is also something that we sign away in the contract. 
Um, so I can definitely acknowledge that there's a difference, right, between somebody who who's basically their job um, to be themselves there, appear as themselves on a TV show like Bethany Frankel from The mm -hmm. Housewives. Um, and somebody who signs up for a game where they can win prize money. Definitely recognize that there's differences there. I think what would be a really productive conversation to have would be uh, around things like these contracts that I keep referencing, mm -hmm. where right when I signed, it was just little old me reading a long ass contract right. with a lot of complicated words in it. And I was 24 years old. Right. And I didn't have money to get a lawyer to read over it and see if it was good. And that's what when you are in a labor union, your labor union has a lawyer and they yeah. read over the contract and they make sure you're getting a good, you know, that you're agreeing to a good contract. So that's one thing where, um, a union would help in terms of read, you know, making sure that these contracts are good. And Molly acknowledged, I think the probably single biggest issue or hurdle in thinking this in this way, which is that there is never a lack of people who yeah. will want to compete on these game shows or even be on these reality TV shows where they think they might be able to leverage it into being an influencer or a celebrity or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And that is the hardest thing, of course, with any labor organizing movement is that we have so much more power in the collective. Mm -hmm. We, if those of us who are uh, who are doing the labor band together, we are more powerful than the executives. But if there is weakness in terms of, you know, everything that's been in the news, what is scabbing? What counts as scabbing? Yeah. What counts as crossing the picket line? That I think is the the most difficult thing. Is that you'll always have people that will say. I don't care what's in the contract. I want a chance at a million dollars. And that's unfortunate. That's really unfortunate because guess what? What if we could compete for a million dollars and also have a contract that respected our rights and our safety and protected mm -hmm. us as individuals? I don't think that those should be mutually exclusive. And I think it would also level the playing field uh, and expectations for all these different types of shows where I... Uh, you know, the experience of being on, I was reading about Love is Blind, a show that I haven't watched yeah. and just how abysmal those working conditions yeah. were. And so I don't think that shows also should, there, we shouldn't have shows where it's like, well, this show has a reputation for treating you pretty well. And this show is, is a nightmare to go on. It should be, you know, it sh they should be level playing fields. Like the same way that we want any workplace protections, like you, you don't, you don't want to go to any employer where it's a known thing that they treat you horribly. Like that is a silly move to make. You wouldn't sign a contract to go work for a company that's that had you signing away all of these rights. But the thing about reality TV is there's so many people willing to do it that they will forego their own protections and their own things that are at their best interest for potentially this idea of what's being promised. Yeah. Um, you made so many, uh, great points in there, you know, Gabby. And like, I totally like, I, I, you know, when I first started to, I, you know, I was talking about 
this topic with a couple other people in my life and they're like, well, you know, like survivors could never like, like the survivors should never unionize. It's like, they're like, you know, you're on, it's you're on, you're on a game show, you get a prize or you don't. And then, you know, you go home and you go back to your life and, you know, and some of the issues that we talk about is like, oh, could you make residuals when your show airs? Like, you know, people have this in in intuition that like those, that that kind of labor model like doesn't apply. But I think that when it comes to like, what are the protections? Because people are putting themselves at really significant risk. And you brought up the great point that like, you're signing this contract at 24. There's people signing that contract at 21, 22 years mm -hmm. old. Um, and, you know, not, not to mention the fact that those contracts are so abstruse that, you know, it, that any of us could use like another set of eyes on understanding that, um, you know, this, I think that there is a lot to be said for like having some collective protections, um, for a show like survivor or like love is blind or places that have gotten slammed in the press for having terrible working conditions um, to have some representation to protect people from going into situations that are going to potentially be really, really dangerous for them, that there would be like such a great value to that. But it's really challenging to organize in these spaces where, like you said, there's always going to be somebody else who's willing to, you know, step up and sign that shoddy contract. And this isn't to say that it, you know, CBS or Survivor has a shoddy contract, but there's always going to be like, there's this never ending pipeline of people who will agree to be on this show because it's an opportunity. And there's, and, and that, but that's not unique to reality TV. Like we see right. this in other sectors where like that, that dangling of there's an opportunity and there's like a whole, like, if, oh, Gabby, you don't want to do it. I have seven other Gabbies outside of the door right now who will sign that contract. Um, I mean, this is the same carrot that gets dangled in front of, you know, I talked to Naomi Calhoun about production assistance. Um, you're, you know, thinking about graduate assistance, the, the, the fact mm -hmm. that that's like a transient workforce. Yes. Um, and reality TV is similar. Like these are kind of systemic barriers to organization that are not unique to reality TV. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad that you brought that up. I completely agree. And I, I wanted to touch on the transient nature of it too, because I feel like that is a, an argument that gets made against like, well, what do you mean? You're, you're going to be in this union for, uh, you know, you're not, uh, you're only on this for a month or two or, or whatever. That's how our graduate student employees union works, which mm -hmm. is, um, we mine, uh, my chapter, uh, we, everyone who is a TA or GA is in our unit, our bargaining unit. So a and teaching assistant oh, or yeah. graduate assistant. Yes. Thank you for the translation. <laughs> And people move out of that role. Uh, I am at a state school. So th these are also state employees that we're talking about. So state mm -hmm. TAs and state GAs, we get paid by the state. And people move in and out of that role sometimes every semester. Sometimes people mm -hmm. will move to a fellowship or as a research assistant funded by another source where they are no longer in our bargaining unit. And it definitely presents challenges for us as leadership, trying to get people to sign their cards, trying to get people to stay engaged, but we do it. And if you are eligible, if you are in our unit and you are assigned member, you 
we're golden. We're great. And then as soon as you're ineligible, you are no longer in our unit and we don't take out dues because you're not in our unit. Mm -hmm. And then when you go back on, we've got you again. So th this is, th that's not unusual. Like you said, to have mm -hmm. these kind of more transient jobs. Sometimes this is every six months uh, or, you know, anybody's situation could change at any time. So it's not impossible, right. To unionize uh, people who don't, who have jobs that last only weeks or months. And I think that that it's good to to debunk that right mm -hmm. <laughs> where it's mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be this like lifelong career i'm not going to be a ta, a TA anymore in a couple of years i'm mm -hmm. still extremely proud to be in my union and think it's incredibly important not only to set up myself for these five years that i that i'm here at doing my phd but also for all the people down the line right who are going to be TAs after me. And so I think also as reality TV contestants, that's something I've cared about just in my personal life um, of after my experience, having been on survivor, uh, I just like making friends with the people that are on after me from mm -hmm. a more of a, I call it like a big sister role, maybe yeah. of like checking in on them. And a lot of them, uh, Go, we go through the same things and I just you're gonna be a great it. academic mentor Gabby that's oh, what that yeah <laughs> I, I can't wait I, I like doing that because mm -hmm. I care about these people we went through this thing together I would be thrilled if they had a contract that was better than the one that I right. signed right when we do things for organized labor it's not just for us right now it's for building this movement for all the people that come after us. My graduate student employees union has been going since the seventies and I wouldn't have the protections wow. and, um, or yeah, seven eighties, maybe I might've gotten that wrong. I don't know what year it is currently. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we've had, uh, over 35 years of organizing experience. Um, and, my protections and benefits and everything that I have now is thanks to the people that came before me. So I think we, it, it's important to think of that, that if something like this were to happen, uh, it would only help people in the future. We shouldn't have this mindset of, well, because I suffered, the people after me need to suffer as well. I'd be thrilled if the future contestants on Survivor or any reality TV show got a better contract than me, got paid more than me. It doesn't, change anything about what I got paid you know that that's done already but why should I want people after me to get paid less than me not have as many protections as me I, I'd be mm -hmm. thrilled if even after my time in this kind of a role people were able to benefit from these improvements um I want our listeners to appreciate how unusual it is for a graduate student union to have been in place and for that long. Like that is, I mean, I don't, you might know these numbers, Gabby, but um, not all graduate departments and not all schools have graduate student unions, um, not by a long stretch, like I, where I went, where I did my graduate training, also at a state school at Penn State, there was, there were no unionized uh, graduate students. And I'm looking up, I know that UPenn, I remember when they had their uh, unionization 
movement, which um, was successful, but that was much more recent. Like, do you have a sense of how common that is for graduate student workers to be represented by a union? Yeah, you're right. It's not very common. And it's something that um, we are very proud of. And we try to tell our members as well that we're like, do you recognize how lucky we are? I also just looked it up. I can confirm that our our SUNY, State University of New York mm-hmm. Graduate Student Employees Union, is from 1974 wow. to today. So it's a wow. long time. And you're right. So we see in the news universities trying to organize mm-hmm. right now. And if anyone listening to this has any organizing experience, starting a union is a lot of really work. Hard. There yeah. is there are so many steps that have to be done. Mm-hmm. So if you are somewhere, anywhere, any workplace, graduate school or not, <laughs> that has an established union, you are lucky because if somebody before you did all of that work and all you have to do is like sign your little union card and pay and and be a part of something bigger than you. So Fordham uh, unionized mm-hmm. in the, recently in the past couple years. A lot of universities are currently trying to unionize. So mm-hmm. we consider ourselves extremely lucky that we have not only have a union, like you said, a lot of places don't even have a union for mm-hmm. um, something like a graduate worker. And then if they do, if they're relatively newer, it's just harder. You don't have as much leverage because probably your membership is a little bit lower. You don't have as much experience that's been passed down through leadership over the years. Um, your reputation, you know, our, our union has a good reputation on campus because people have experienced the gains that the union has joined. I had a friend when I started graduate school, my stipend was $20,000. Very little, by the way, in case mm-hmm. people didn't know you make nothing as a graduate worker. I know, you know, Amanda. Yeah. Um, and I, people, I went to graduate school a while ago, but I made um, $17,000. There you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, people in ju- just two years above me uh, said when they started, they made as little as $14,000. Wow. So even just in a few years, you saw those gains. And so um, the point being, unions are hard to start. <laughs> But once they are, it is momentum and collective power that can move things along. And having a reputation of a really strong union who is willing to put their foot down, willing to not accept things that are not in the membership's best interest is so powerful. I mean, I have just been like, I just admire the the writer's strike that went mm-hmm. on and the actor's strike that is still going on because it takes incredible resolve. It's it's very I'm so happy for them that they seem to have unions that are not willing to accept mm-hmm. shit. You know, I was super mm-hmm. psyched to see the writers guild contract and how much they won. Like that was awesome. And that is what we can do and it's it's really really exciting (laughs) um that so so gabby taking your experience now like you're organizing and being part of the graduate student workers union i mean in 2018 that's when you appeared on survivor david versus goliath and i do feel like and the data supports this that we are in 
a much more pro-labor movement right now than we even were back in 2018. And like certainly a much more pro-labor movement moment in terms of public support now than we were the last time the writers had a strike in 2008. Um, How much was any of this on your radar when you decided to go and play Survivor? None. Not not on my mind at all. I was very ignorant to the world of labor union, you know, unions organizing, um, which is I mean, I knew about it. I knew about the previous writers strike. I, mm-hmm. you know, I support people on strike, but I was never thinking that me choosing to go on this like once in a lifetime thing going on reality TV, you know, it's like the prize was you know, everything else was so enticing about it that you almost forget you know you're willing to give up so much in exchange mm-hmm. for that and you forget about possibly your own uh protections like we've been saying so really maybe may I mean not maybe definitely naively it was not on my mind at all and also if anyone's listening and here like I'm so newly in this labor organizing like role literally just two years ago and before that I knew very little like I said I just knew kind of the outside perspective I was terrified when I started organizing um not because of fear of uh, uh, retaliation or anything like that because like I said our union was established I was so scared because I felt like I had no idea what I was doing I didn't know what anything was what any of the acronyms meant I didn't know what we were allowed to ask for what Mm -hmm. things we had protections for what we could do if if things in the contract were broken. I didn't know how any of it worked. And I know that that's probably how a lot of people are. You might be a union, you might not even understand the inner workings. And I just also wanted to say that that's okay. Like that's okay. The bare minimum that I think people should do is just don't cross a picket line. Listen to your, what's going on, the temperature of the membership. And you don't have to understand all of these nitty gritty things um but definitely don't fall for any of the anti-union rhetoric that's going to come from any source of management because they don't want you to be a collective and get together but my point of saying that is i think there's probably a group of people listening to this podcast that are like super pro labor and it's awesome and they they already know a lot and maybe there's people out there who don't know anything about labor and they think it's this like very abstract mm-hmm. um thing that needs specialized knowledge and I'm here to tell you like it definitely doesn't because I've learned a lot in the past two years and like anyone can get involved you just it's there's so much to learn and it's it's just a really cool thing I think that we have at our disposal that um I'm so happy I know more about now but I and I'm so happy that it's in the public uh zeitgeist more now than ever yeah yeah it's such a great point I think that one of the things that I've taken away from like all the people that we've talked to on this series and other conversations that I've had with people who are in this space is that like you don't have to know a lot. You just have to start talking to the other people that are in your position. Like talk to yeah. your other graduate student workers or talk to the other people at your job or, you know, talk to other reality TV contestants and find out like, oh, what are your concerns? Do we have the same concerns? Like, oh, like how do we go about advocating for those concerns? But like the first step is always like talking to other people and 
management, um, you know, is always going to rather like keep everybody in the dark, not talking to each other, low information, Mm -hmm. like not out of any like evil, sinister thing, but from a management perspective, it's, they're going to get a better deal if they're individually dealing with everybody and they don't have to worry about making everything fair for everyone across the board. Right. So in like Mm -hmm. the reality TV space, I'm sure that like, if Boston Rob walks into CBS and says like, this is what I need guaranteed to play survivor. They're going to say like, okay, well we'll make this deal with you. Yeah. We don't want anybody else to know that you have this deal. A hundred percent. They want to deal with everything one on one and keep people from talking to one another. Um, Like Gabby, like knowing what you know now, like what are some of the things that, you wish that like somebody, I mean, we don't have, I I, want to come back to talking about like some of these other, you know, some of these other categories of reality TV Mm -hmm. talent and what unionization in this space could look like. But what do you, what do you wish like was different when you were on David versus Goliath or what would you want to know? Or what do you think would be the ideal going into one of these competition reality shows? Yeah. Uh, It's so funny because now I look back at so many of our conversations, like you said, conversations with other castmates, conversations publicly on Twitter and things like that. And I don't even think we realize that we were basically having labor conversations. I remember Mm -hmm. one sort of it became a little bit of a meme, but it was serious to us out there, which was our season was the first season that they didn't allow contestants to have swimsuits. Yes. And not only did we not have swimsuits, which is an inconvenience because you're you're going in and out of the ocean all the time. Not only did we not have swimsuits, we had one set of clothing and the clothing was not sort of quote unquote standardized. My season famously had uh, Angelina asking for a jacket because her clothing wasn't as warm as another contestants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, we all, it, it like became sort of a meme or a joke among us where we're like, well, he barely got any clothes, but it was horrible mm-hmm. on my season. We got rained on for essentially 12 days straight. I wore the same set of cotton clothing the entire time which if people don't know you're also given a certain set of clothing to wear um so you can't you know we can't choose to wear raincoats or anything like that you're given this kind of Mm -hmm. outfit for your persona on tv gabby why didn't you choose to wear a poncho (laughs) and like what like why did you pick that outfit Yeah. So imagine it's like being given a uniform or something and the uniform's completely like not utilitarian at all. Um, The same pair of cotton underwear, same pair for 12 days of it all being wet and never having a chance to dry because it was raining the whole time. And we complained a lot. We were pissed. We complained to uh, costumes, the costume department, when we Mm -hmm. were in between challenges. We were begging them for our swimsuits because we didn't know that this twist had been introduced of no swimsuits. Mm -hmm. So we, every single challenge, we were like, is it today? Do we get our swimsuits today? And we were just like never told any information until, I mean, some of us were so naive that it was, it would be like 10 days until the end of the game. And we would still be like, do you think we're getting our swimsuits? soon soon like because we were so desperate 
And one thing that has improved is in the newer seasons, they are given multiple sets of clothing, I've yeah. noticed. So they're given at yeah. least multiple underwear. They're giving different shorts so they can wear it for the challenge because mm -hmm. we all wore our nasty underwear for the challenges. Mm -hmm. And so that's something that we were all openly talking about and and not realizing, you know, that that's actually kind of a labor issue and a yeah. safety issue and a health issue. I mean, we realized it, but the the kind of collective power that we could have had to to be like, no, we're not going to compete in this challenge unless you give us our swimsuit or whatever. I mean, obviously, yeah. that's the whole thing. I mean, that would be this, so right? baller if like so a survivor cool. <laughs> cast just like went on strike and they're like, we're not competing in this challenge, right? right? I know. <laughs> Future survivor um, players, like collect, <laughs> organize your cast, like organize your season, <laughs> organize your tribe. And um, I mean, you know, the, and I guess that Angelina is also queen of labor negotiations. There you from go. Your season, like negotiating for more rice. But like, Visionary. I mean, so some of that can get like embedded in the game, which is really interesting. But even thinking about things that are, you know, the survivor diversity campaign and the role right. that former players had in going to CBS and saying like this, the way that you've been casting is like putting these players at a disadvantage and are portraying us in a negative light, like do better. And, you know, even though that it, it it's not, you know, a full unionization per se, like that is reality TV stars using their collective power to advocate for change. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I love that example. I was thinking the same thing, which is that these people were organizing without even calling it organizing. Like they were organizing. They were so awesome. And you're right. And, and the thing is too, much like we see with the SAG after like, powerful figures, winners of survivor, mm -hmm. like Wendell. Yeah. Um, coming forward and saying like look i was one of the lucky ones i won my season but look at all of us and by the way you wouldn't have a show without all of us powerful people and all not you know it's not just wendell right but then right. when everybody comes together and they were able to get such an awesome coalition of black survivor players mm -hmm. who got CBS and Survivor to come to not a negotiating table, but to hear them out and yeah. listen to this like whole presentation that they had prepared. Like that's guess what? That's what organizing is. Like, that's, like mm -hmm. it's it's amazing. And that's why we say, like, it's like, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to get together with people yeah. and share your experiences and say, like, you know what? This this isn't right. Mm -hmm. And I think that is such a great example of the power that we can have that they literally changed casting, not only for Survivor, but for all of the CBS for reality. All, yeah. Shows. Yeah. Amazing. Um, it's so cool. It, 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 it is so cool. And it really starts with like, you know, that other theme of like, how did that get started? It got started by like, former players talking about their experience, mm -hmm. like just talking to each other. This is what I went through and then, and sharing those stories. And then also I think like recognizing their collective power, because that's another yes. piece of this that like, I think is important and looking at some of these other shows as well. Like, even though, yes, there's like a line of people, you know, a mile long that would, that would want to be in any of these casting positions. Um, people who have played on these shows do have do have power like part of the success of the reality tv 
community is is based on community, right? It's like based on, a, you know, and thinking about like Wendell and Bryce being people who have really like leveraged that they were on this show to create community and they continue mm -hmm. to promote it. And like, so CBS is going to be interested in paying attention to that. Um, like what would, ha I mean, what would happen if after a show like players didn't, I mean, a lot of people would watch it if people weren't, you know, engaging on social media or doing these other things, but there is obviously some value in the players themselves being the face of a show. And so acknowledging that and trying to leverage that where you can, um, in these other reality TV, uh, in franchises, like we've mentioned real housewives, um, those people like sign up for multiple seasons and people like tune in because they want to see Bethany Frankel. Like they tune in, mm -hmm. like, yes, there could be another housewife, but there's people who are devoted to these stars, uh, you know, Vanderpump rules. Like these are you know, the Kardashians. Um, these are series that are built around specific personalities and people sort of emerge from these things as personalities to the point where it really does become their career. Like, do you think mm -hmm. that that's a space, Gabby, where this kind of like where something like a reality stars union could start? Yes, definitely. I think that is the most logical place for it to start. It is their job. They are every episode is like you know a day multiple days at work or something like and i think about also how um if there's no like you said management wants to deal with each person individually so okay so they can pay their biggest stars way more money and they can pay other people way less money for the promise of exposure for the promise of maybe going on another season maybe becoming an influencer and i don't think that that's right um and there needs to be protections for those people as well in terms of like we've already talked about their, their likeness, their name, their reputation, yeah. things like that. I mean, the, the thing about reality TV is I think this is, it would also be a difficult uh, thing to rally support. I don't think it would be that difficult, but like I could see one thing being people laugh at reality TV. Mm -hmm. uh, cont uh, not contestants but just ca characters quote-unquote characters like it's it's not seen as legitimate work for to be a housewife <laughs> because you're just like well you're just getting filmed you're going to parties mm -hmm. and things like that but i mean even those women as much as we might like to think that they are snobby or whatever this or that they are sitting in these confessional rooms with these hot studio lights they are being asked to do voiceovers and film promotional thing they are working it is a job and so i think part of the uh movement would need to be removing some of the stigma around this not being legitimate work especially right. for these documentary style shows where they they are working um Yes, these people also tend sometimes tend to be these already rich, well-off people. I don't think anyone of us would argue like the Kardashians need more money. No. But as a labor issue of how long are their days, how how, are, mm -hmm. and and the thing is, 
the discrepancy between so maybe the Kardashians are treated really, really well because they're rich and they can have all these things. They can take breaks or they can have whatever food and water they might mm-hmm. need. And then something like Love is Blind or The Ultimatum right. or whatever these other shows that are documentary style, but they're not being given food until too late or they're not being given water. They're being given too much alcohol and no water. Yeah. It, there shouldn't be that kind of a discrepancy where if you're a wealthy person, you get good working conditions. And if you're not, you don't get good working conditions because we're pr- going to promise you the idea of exposure, which, by the way, might be really negative and might actually ruin your life. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and then speaking of this idea again that you brought up and, you know, we need the most powerful people to also, you know, leverage their power to, to speak up for the other people that might be involved. And like, I don't watch the Kardashians or the housewives. So maybe I'm like misrepresenting this, but I'm sure there's other people that end up in the show. They are part of their lives, like people who work for them or their kids or their, like that don't have the same power that they do, who are also kind of in this enterprise. And wouldn't it be great if like, they could leverage their powers to protect these other people that are, you know, not in the same position that are also part of those shows. Um, so I definitely think that, um, that, 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 that is a part of it. And it, and it almost would necessarily, I think, have to start with the stars that have the most leverage as a way to kind of create a mechanism that could protect, you know, people, the contestants on Love is Blind and people in these other shows who have suffered, you know, kind of really terrible consequences of having appeared on those shows. So in some of my research looking into this, um, you know, there, uh, there is a, um, there was a insider piece on working conditions in Love is Blind. And as a result of that, uh, two contestants, Jeremy Hartwell and Nick Thompson have actually launched a unscripted cast advocacy network. Um, so they have formed, so this is, you know, organizing in that space. Um, they've organized a, um, a collective of people who appear on reality television shows. And this has like fundraising mechanisms. They will review contracts. They provide assistance with understanding rights, mental health advocacy and support, um, and legal support. So like, you know, I just was like, I just looked into their website. I don't know anything about, you know, their, these services or this network, but like, it's really admirable. I think this is the step like short of a union creating these advocacy groups. We talked about what the survivor diversity campaign did. I think that this is like a really powerful model uh, for doing something to help support and advocate for reality contestants. That's really cool. Yeah, I didn't know. I I had heard about some of that, but I didn't know about that group particularly. I think that's fantastic. That that I feel like yeah, we've said this multiple times, but that that's how it starts is just gathering people and talking. Um, and yeah, that's that's cool to hear about. I'm glad that they're doing that. Um, Gabby, I want to bring in another issue and I'm going to start talking about this like as AI, you know, has come up in a lot of these other um, in the entertainment 
disputes. And I think that this is like, could potentially be an area of great interest for reality TV contestants in that like you are, and you know, this is also applies to just the edit in some ways is like, you are subjecting yourself, your likeness, your words, um, you know, you're putting all of that out there and then CBS has that. And what are the limits to what they can actually do with that? And like, you know, we know that they can, edit you and create Frankenbites where it sounds like you're saying something that maybe you never even said. And, you know, Molly, Mm -hmm. you know, was a great um, representative of what, you know, she, her approach is as an editor, but obviously, you know, we know that there's other places where edits have misconstrued and like Mm -hmm. maybe painted somebody in a, um, in a misleading light. Um, But now given that we have, you know, all of this, artificial intelligence and, you know, deep fake technology, like, could they actually make it look like you did something completely that you didn't do? Like, how much can they push this? They have, you know, no sort of, uh, you know, they, they, they have, there's nothing that's like making them represent things accurately. Like, wh- how do you think that that plays into what is involved in being a reality TV star? That would terrify me. That would be absolutely awful. I already feel, I mean, it's horrible. I'm glad that the actors are trying to fight back against that because you don't sign up to be a background actor for a day and then expect to see that they can use your face and they 3D scanned you and can use you in every movie from then on out. That's not fair. And I think it would be equally as much of a horrific occurrence if it were to happen in reality TV because like we said earlier, it's, it's us, it's ourselves yeah. that we are representing. So that's potentially even more dangerous. Uh, I mean, not potentially it is period. Um, if they, uh, can have somebody that is appearing to be you and not a character in a movie, um, doing or saying something. And I already feel sort of weird about the fact that 24 year old me signed away, you know, like my likeness, my yeah. likeness, like just my face, my face. Um, I saw myself in like a commercial one time uh, in the middle of years after I was on Survivor. It was like a commercial for Consumer Cellular or something. It was like a Whoa, scene. Whoa. Wow. Yeah. It was a scene of me and or and and Christian, one of my castmates, having a moment of friendship. And their slogan was like moments of connection, whatever. It, it was in the middle of Survivor. But I was like, what? <laughs> like, I turned to my friend that I was watching Survivor with and I was like, oh, I'm in a commercial what the hell? I didn't get paid for that. I basically just advertised that company uh, for free. So that already was, was a feeling of um, loss of control. Yeah, this and is, not I mean, this something. is not right. And I know that like, so I mean, I know that this happens. Like, I know that like, they'll put you in a Facebook ad or something like, you know, we're all like giving our images and our data away to every yeah. company. And we're, we're clicking like allow, 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 because we can't be bothered to read the terms of services. And even if we did read them, we would just allow it anyway, because we want to be on that <laughs> app. So we're all doing this. But I mean, there is a company that it got, they got a free actor. They got like a free yes. commercial performance. And now they're going to make money selling cell phone plans. And mm-hmm. you didn't even know about it. You might have never known about it if you weren't watching live TV that night. Um, right. That's 
crazy. They took it's a job wild. from somebody else. They used you to support, endorse a product that you didn't even know about. And you're never right. going to make a dime from that. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's not good. It's dark sided. Um, and so that already made me feel a type of way. And that was real footage that they had of me. Yeah. So I can't imagine, you know, using my face to, to or like say having something. you say, yeah. Having you say yes. something about consumer cellular or whatever. Yeah. Oh, you want to know another funny thing in one of the previews during my season, this is a little bit different, but, um, they, had a fake voice somebody else's voice said what i was saying and like i was dubbed i was dubbed over oh, on a yeah, commercial yeah. and i and literally i was like that's not my voice so obviously that's a way different beast in terms of um you know they must have had a voice actor maybe just say it more clearly than maybe the audio that they picked up from me was but it was a bizarre moment where I'm like, that's definitely my mouth moving and definitely not my voice coming out of that where, you know, I guess that's allowed. So your castmate, uh, Davey Rickenbacker, was just on RHAP and told a story about how another one of your castmates was voiced over with something that she had never even said. Oh, my gosh. I don't even think I knew that story. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it. It happens. And so if they're already able to do that with just the magic of editing, what could they do if they are able to take, you know, they have thousands or hundreds, I can't do math, whatever, of yeah. hours <laughs> of our voices saying everything, so many different words, so many different intonations, everything, you know, um, they have a lot of voice and face data of me in their vaults. I think that what the actors are advocating for right now, what they're doing about around AI is so important and could become a template for something that could protect more people like reality stars, like normal people who upload their audio and video and images. Like I really think that there's such a great need to have legal and protective structures around protecting people from AI that I'm really hoping that the actors have a big victory with this one and that it can serve as something that we can replicate to protect other people. Um, Definitely. But one of the things like that you said is like, you know, and, and, and we can wrap up here pretty soon is um, you have like no control over what you know, like we were talking about with AI or if they dub something over, or if they edit something, it's like, you'll never get to see that and approve or disapprove. And like, right. Before it airs. And, um, are there like, I'm sort of aware that like, even when players have said like, this is something that's happened to me, I would like to see it that, 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 that seldom is a request that is granted. Like you basically have no, control over what gets put in the show after it happens. Um, is that something that you can see a place for collective bargaining, protecting players against like how they are ultimately represented reality stars, contestants, like giving them any power in that kind of post-production phase? Or do you think that that's just an unrealistic ask for these production companies? No, I don't think it's unrealistic. I think, you know, definitely I, I would see a lot of pushback on things like we can't control the story that they're going to tell. But I think about things like um, 
there's so many hours of footage collected. If they are going to show something that they know could portray you in a negative light or something particularly personal that you shared or potentially, I don't know, you know, you're discussing an illegal act or anything like that, that they, I think it would be a perfectly reasonable ask to ask that um, during the course of production or, you know, while they're still forming, creating the show, creating a list of things, you know, possibly questionable or reputation damaging mm-hmm. things that you have said. And I don't know what that would look like. I don't know if yeah. it, it would be amazing if players could, you know, participants, contestants, uh, reality TV stars could veto. I don't think they would ever give that right, amount right. of power up, but um, that's the kind of thing where having a union lawyer and having a, you know, the, a reasonable expectation for, if not control over, is it okay if we tell this story about your... So one thing also that I didn't mention that a lot of people might not know is your family members sign releases. Your immediate family members sign Mm. releases to a very similar thing that you do, which is broadly called your life story. And I imagine, I'm not a lawyer, I don't know exactly why, but I, I imagine that it is because I might tell a story about how my mother suffered from drug addiction Mm -hmm. um over and and telling the story of other people and they are signing that away and i could envision a world where they through storyboarding or whatever and they're like these are the major beats we're gonna hit and and they have to at least inform like bare minimum Mm -hmm. inform the people that by the way this story that you told is going to be told if it can even the slightest be construed as like harmful or personal Mm -hmm. or potentially exposing or anything like that um there's a really silly example but on the most recent on this current season of survivor they had a clips they had a segment of people talking about playing the game pokemon pokemon yeah yeah yeah. i don't know anything about how you play that or the higher level strategy i thought it was just you walk around and catch it that's how much i played Mm -hmm. um but i saw one of the contestants tweet that i think he was sort of being uh, joking but apparently one of the strategies of pokemon go that they were discussing is this like sort of i don't know if illegal or frowned upon way of collecting pokemon or leveling them up or something yeah and he was joking i guess online like oh i hope i don't get banned from this comp you know uh Mm -hmm. tournament or whatever where obviously that's a silly example and it's not like i'm not condoning illegal behavior (laughs) but the idea that you're maybe saying something expecting it never to be aired like in what world would they air this random thing about me saying that you know like oh, i stole a nail polish from cvs once or something like that but they can use anything you say so yeah. being able to be aware of or any amount of control that we could have over like you know what i know i told you that story about my uh family's you know horrible experience with mm-hmm. xyz but i actually don't want i i don't want you to air that right And we do know that like people suffer real life repercussions for some of these things coming out in terms of like people finding their jobs and calling Mm -hmm. their employers and doing things like that. So um, it's not it's not trivial. Um, Well, Gabby, is there anything else about the reality TV experience or organized labor that you wanted to share today? 
Uh, we covered so much. This was this was so fun. Um, talking about like two of my <laughs> two great that I'm tastes about. That taste great together. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, it was so much fun. And yeah, I we, we talked very briefly about residuals, and I'm just yeah. like, yeah, you know what? Where's my check? Because my season one on Netflix, and I had people, you know, sliding into my DMs like years after the show aired, yeah. being like, oh, I'm watching your season now, and I'm like, okay, so where's my check? Because uh, the other funny thing about being on reality TV is, you know, there'd be like good seasons and and maybe less so, not so good seasons, or like this is a popular season, so we put it on Netflix. Well, I'm getting paid the same amount as anybody on any other season. Like, I didn't get paid more for being on a quote unquote good or entertaining <laughs> season that's now getting like aired a lot on yeah. on these other platforms like Netflix. So, I think it is a really good conversation to have. Right. I think you are a hundred percent right that the uh, SAG negotiations going on right now could set a really, really important precedent. Not only for other people in media, other roles, reality yeah. TV, but also just us as as human beings, like you said, in terms of we all engage with media. We are all uploading so much uh, of our faces, our voices, everything online. And it seems absolutely crucial to have good protections around those things as we move towards an ever increasingly technologically yeah. connected and AI driven world and all of this. And this blurring and like deprofessionalization of entertainment, it just makes like all of these people more exploitable and like reality TV stars are definitely in that category. And then you think about, I mean, influence, it's like different business models, but one of the reasons, you know, I wanted to, you know, make the point is, you know, Reality TV has grown and grown and grown and grown. And, mm -hmm. and when these strikes happen, those are opportunities for there to be more of a proliferation of reality TV. And part of the reason it grows is because it's so cheap to yes. produce. It's so cheap to produce. And if this is actually like a valuable, you know, commodity for production companies, this is a way to keep them afloat. Like they're generating money. One of the reasons it's cheap is because people are not being treated and compensated fairly. And we talked to, you know, Molly last week about the editors and all of the different roles that are involved in bringing those shows to light. And a lot of those people don't have union protections and a lot of them don't have mm -hmm. good deals. So like whenever something is so cheap, that's like a red flag. It's like, where are they cutting corners? And they're usually cutting corners on human labor. And like, I understand that not everybody is going to say that reality stars are a labor force in the way that the teamsters are. But the truth is like, people are making a lot of money based yes. on, you know, your efforts and your hardships and things that you're going to continue to experience the consequences of sometimes for the rest of your life. And so I don't know, there's probably ways that you could be treated better. <laughs> Yes, I, I totally agree with you. And I think if if I can get one point across this podcast, it is that as much as we might see different forms of labor as um, silly or what's the word I'm searching for, you know, like, like, not futile, frivolous, but or, frivolous. That's yeah. the word I wanted to use. Frivolous. Labor is labor. Work is work. And like you said, 
I think that that kind of rhetoric of like, well, you're not doing the same thing as like the teamsters. You're not, you're not UPS drivers. You're not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever is the kind of rhetoric that is m- meant to keep people from organizing. And, um, just one more time to bring my grad worker experience mm-hmm. into this. That's something that we hear sometimes from not, not so much, our, but administration. It's like, well, you, well, you guys, you're already, you're getting a PhD. We're paying for your tuition. They'll act like paying for our tuition is like a part of the, the this mm-hmm. like generous thing that they're doing. We're like, no, that is absolutely standard. And we are providing you with way more work. The uni- Universities than- would collapse without That's graduate it. workers. They would collapse. Like everybody, knows it that so much of the teaching so yes. much of the read so much of all of these different things that happens at university depends on graduate students who are often working well over 40 hours 60 hours 80 hours a week in addition Correct. to taking classes and it absolutely the entire university model depends on that labor so of course it's work of course it's valuable Yes. Thank you for saying that because that's exactly it is people will try to trivially trivialize your experience and your labor. And they'll say, well, you're just a grader or well, you're just sitting at the front desk in the library or whatever your graduate worker position might be. And to that, like our slogan is exactly what you just said, which is SUNY, the State University of New York doesn't run without us. Mm -hmm. It would collapse. And the same thinking applies to reality television who can they not do reality television without the people the reality stars that are putting themselves their body their faces their likeness their life stories out there for consumption by everybody that are putting their relationships at risk that are putting their mental and physical health at risk so people will try to trivialize any amount of labor i one time was sitting with a group of graduate workers and and somebody uh we ended up having a really good conversation but at first we said something like uh we're grad we're grad workers and he kind of we're grad students and he was like oh yeah you you know you're like privileged kids you're in your ivory tower and Mm -hmm. we went oh no we make twenty thousand dollars a year for working like you said all of these Mm -hmm. hours and um and actually you know we 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 have a union or, or we said oh what do you do and he said i'm a carpenter and then we we said like, oh, are you in the carpenters union? He was like, yeah. And we were like, yeah, we're in the grad workers union. And it literally turned from him sort of like laughing at us. This was like a random guy at the bar that was overhearing our conversation. Turned from him laughing at us being like, your job isn't that real to him being like, oh, shit. Like you guys have a union just like I, a carpenter yeah, does. Yeah. Because labor is freaking labor. And as yeah. much as we might think like you know being on reality tv or being on the bachelor is like yeah there are all these other fringe benefits but that's not so are you going to say that my fringe benefit of 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 being a grad worker is that i get a phd and can like maybe get a a job after this like that's not in my contract i'm sorry that has nothing to do with my labor that is like a fringe benefit so in the bachelor they don't say you're going to become an instagram influencer you're going to be able to start your own clothing line they Mm -hmm. don't say that that's a fringe benefit benefit from you having put yourself out on the line and adhering to uh, this crazy contract. So I think it's like I said, it's just so exciting to see the idea of labor spreading in the mainstream consciousness, because guess what? Like labor is labor. Yeah. And I love like the story about like connecting with the carpenter at the bar because like that's the other beauty of it. It's like recognizing our shared 
experiences. And that's like why there were flight attendants at the WGA picket line. So there were WGA members out with the Teamsters in front of UPS. Like that's like, because like once we recognize it's like, you know, what we all have in common is that we have to work. Working sucks. And the boss is trying to take advantage of us. Like that's what we all Mm -hmm. have in common um, as working people. um, And And yeah, and I think that there's a lot of, um, there's a strong case that a lot of what reality stars do falls into that as well. It was so great to talk to you about all of this, Gabby. You too. This was so fun. And yeah, solidarity with all workers out there. Yes. Um, Where can, uh, solidarity with our listeners, where can they keep up with everything (laughs) that you're up to? I am on Twitter at Gabby Pascuzzi. And so that's the best place to see my little thoughts about pretty much just these two topics, which is reality (laughs) TV and labor. I think those are like the only two things I ever tweet about. (laughs) Perfect. Um, Such a great follow. Um, And we recently, you were on um, RHAP doing the post survivor show. That was really good time. That was really great. Um, So I've been hearing you on podcasts here and there. Thanks again so much for joining Gabby. Thank you. And thanks for doing this series. I think it is so great. And I'm excited to hear more of what comes next. Bye-bye.